Hello, and welcome to the show. I'm Martin Willis, your host. Uh, we have an interesting show uh, for you this evening. It's about the, it's called the Penturk UFO incident. I just found out how to pronounce that. And uh, it happened back in February 26, 2016. And we have a first account witness, uh, Kaz Clark. She's going to be on in just a few minutes. And it should be interesting. So I... Uh, I got to a hotel room at the last minute. I didn't have internet. So here we are. We rescued the show for the evening. Uh, the blog this week is uh, I, uh, RIP, Mr. UFO. And that's about uh, Timothy, Timothy Green Beckley, the whole story about that. So check that out. And that will be made into an audio blog as usual. I am going to uh, bring the guests in in just a second. I will tell you there's uh, because it's a hotel room, there may be a little bit of background noise here. But uh, hopefully nothing major. And I do want to say that uh, um, I do want to thank everyone that listens to the show and thank all that support the show. I really appreciate it a lot. I couldn't do it without you. And uh, I think that's enough talking for me. I'm going to bring in the guests now. Kaz, welcome to the show. Hello. And uh, I appreciate that you actually are staying up rather late, uh, rather late to do the show with us. Thank you very much. You're welcome. It's, it's very important that this word gets out. So it doesn't matter if it was four o'clock in the morning, everyone needs to hear this. Now I'm wondering, I haven't heard a lot about this. I actually was contacted from someone that lives about 15 miles away from the incident a few years ago. He told me about it and it's one you just don't hear too much about. Um, and then also another listener of the show is the one who, uh, suggested you as a guest and gave me your contact information, and I owe him a, a thanks as well. But uh, why do you suppose it's, you know, we don't hear about it in the United States too much? I, it's just to be not, honest with it's you, a, it's, it's a pretty major. There's been a massive cover-up from day one. Facebook have blocked it. YouTube have blocked it. Google have blocked it. Um, a friend of mine did a search on YouTube just the other day to find out how many searches there had been for the Penturk UFO incident. And it came back with a big fat zero. And uh, I know that a, a couple recently made a documentary that's had over 500,000 hits in three weeks. So I know that can't be true. But uh, the Penturk incident has been buried and is, the cover up still continues even today. Uh, but now, this you mentioned, has the most. Sorry. No, I'm sorry. We have a little delay between us, so it'll be a little tricky tonight. Um, but um, you even mentioned the link you put up for this show on Facebook for tonight's show um, was taken yeah. down. Yes. I put the link up on my personal page and it was taken down, not by me. That's amazing. Really amazing. And, um, you know, we sometimes hear about the idea of cover-ups, but we never exactly know uh, what's going on. Can you tell us some examples of what the cover-ups have been? Oh, my goodness. That's a good question. Um, other than the fact that people weren't able to find me, uh, after my initial comments under the so-called military exercise on Wales Online, there had been a UFO group called Swansea UFO Network that had tried to find me. And for 18 months, they could not find me. And it wasn't because I wasn't on Facebook. It's just that every time they searched for me, they couldn't find me. Um, 
you know, the, the lies that have been told. Uh, the, the military have been out here and personally threatened me and my family. And that was why I decided that I would go forward. Um, you know, the only reason that the link was ever made between myself and Swansea UFO Network was because they'd put a blog up to say they were doing a sky watch on top of the Garth Mountain, which is right next to where this incident happened. And I said, simply, it's a good place to be. And from there, they were able to make contact with me. Um, but before then, it was like I didn't exist. Wow, that's amazing. Now, uh, since we don't know too much about this, I know the date of when it happened, February 26, 2016. But why don't you start and tell the story from the beginning and uh, how you actually were able to witness the whole thing? Okay. Well, I'll have to tell you a little bit about Penturk. It's a beautiful village um, at the midway point of a mountain called the Garth in South Wales. I'm surrounded by beautiful rolling countryside that ebbs away from you. And you can see in every direction and on a clear day, possibly up to 30 miles away. And I was alerted to a small grey plane flying very low and very slow over my village on the 23rd of February 2016. Um, but I didn't really pay any attention because we've got RAF St. Athen 14 miles away from us. And we have military aircraft that fly over fairly regularly, but they don't stay. And it was Wednesday the 24th that really attracted my attention to this aircraft because one of my neighbours had come out of his house and he was cursing because this plane had kept him awake all night. And it was then really we noticed its activity. And later that same day, another plane, almost identical to the first one, would come and take the first plane's place and the first plane would fly away. And then that would continue the same circular flight pattern just over and over and over. And then Wednesday night, I had a very restless night because every 15 minutes, this very small grey prop plane would fly over my house. And we'd contacted the Ministry of Defence, who didn't know anything, didn't answer us. We contacted our local um, mainstream news, and they didn't know anything either. Uh, Thursday morning, the plane was still there. Again, its partner plane, which we know their tail numbers and their call signs, turned up to take its place. Every eight hours, these planes were changing, changing places. And it occurred to me it costs an awful lot of money to keep a plane up 24 hours a day for no particular reason. So we decided then that on the Thursday night, if they were still there, that we would go out and watch with them. Because clearly, by this point, they were watching for something. And one of my neighbours, David, had decided that perhaps they were watching for Russian planes and I know that sounds outrageous, but it was only the week before um, that I, on the 18th of February that our Royal Air Force had turned away two Russian Tu-120 bombers from our airspace. So he was expecting some kind of dogfight or they were going to escort a foreign aircraft from our airspace. But we never expected to see what happened. And I certainly didn't believe in UFOs before this happened. Uh, it got to about two o'clock in the morning on the 26th of February, Friday, the 26th of February. And I was just about to go back into my house because we've been in the garden watching with them for hours. When I heard what I thought was a missile and I ran to the back of my garden to see a huge plane fly over my house, fairly low for such a large aircraft. 
And David had explained that is an E3 Sentry plane. Now, I had no idea what that meant at that time, but I know now. And the E3 Sentry started to circle, not small circles. I say I estimated it took about five minutes to go around once, but I actually think it was less time than that. It was probably more like two minutes to go around once. But the plane circled seven times. In the distance, there were other planes also circling, five of them, all in a row. On the seventh time it went around, one red light was visible high above the trees behind my house. So David and I had called for one of our other neighbours who'd been watching with us that night. She'd gone into her house to make us all hot drinks. But we'd run to the five-bar gate that overlooks the farmland behind my house to get an unobstructed view of what was going on. And one red light turned into three red lights in a triangle formation. Coming in point first, but on an oblique angle with a leading set of six lights on in the near side being brighter than the rest, was a full-sized pyramid. Turning very slowly anti-clockwise, and as it did so, came down in a pendulum motion. This thing didn't come down from outer space. This thing came through the space, into this dimension. It didn't decloak. It emerged gradually like it came through a black veil or through a fog into this world. When it was in the upright position, it fired a really bright green object out of the top, like it had been fired out of a cannon. And it skipped across to my left-hand side and just stopped above the trees, just rocking gently backwards and forwards. And I couldn't tell you what shape it was. It was so bright, brighter than the moonlight. And we had a full moon that night. The E3 Sentry was still, as, still above us. By this time, it was flying in an oval flight pattern above this pyramid. The pyramid listed to the right-hand side, still turning very slowly anti-clockwise. And I stood on the five-bar five bar gate to get a better look through the bare trees, fixated on the bottom of it for some reason. Like it, And I said to David, it's landing, it's landing. When in actual fact, the land itself was coming up to meet it because that is the foot of the Garth Mountain. And it ejected what I described as a hand of lightning. But it wasn't thin lightning like we see here. It was thick like fingers, fire coloured. And all the lights on the outside of this ship went from tail light red to bright white orange. And the lights on the right hand side of the craft were still brighter than the rest, like it was some kind of steering mechanism. Now, whilst I was fixated on the bottom, I couldn't see the top. Such was the size of it from 200 yards away. And David had said he saw 15 or 20, he described as orbs, come out of the top of this pyramid. And I can sit here and tell you that I saw them, but I genuinely didn't because I was fixated on it touching the ground. And I heard two military aircraft coming from behind me and I looked up just to see them go over the top of me with two big C-17 aircraft flying wingtip to wingtip, two big engines on each of their wings flying towards where this pyramid was. When I, uh, two more aircraft came from my left-hand side, there were two big C-130 aircraft, and they too turned and went back in behind the, the, the C-17s. And this green object has skipped across the sky so quickly in front of these aircraft and fired three really bright strobes at them as if to get their attention and got excited somehow. 
Uh, I couldn't see the pyramid at this point. I don't know if it's gone back where it came from or if it just switched its lights off. But this green object drew those four aircraft away. And it was so bright, it bathed all of these aircraft in green light. You could see all the outlines of their engines and the fuselages. The E3 Sentry was still above us. And I watched it until I couldn't see it anymore. The E3 Sentry that was here was a NATO plane. We have its tail number. Once the green object had gone out of sight, I was still standing on the gate. And two red barrel-shaped objects, about the size of a small car, came from my right-hand side across the fields towards us. One moved across in front of me and stopped above the hedge, maybe 20 feet away, maybe 20 feet up, if that. And I stared at it just for a few seconds because I wanted the details. I wanted to see. And I could see all the insides moving like white noise on a TV screen, but it was, it was more than that. It was more 3D than that, like it was turning in on itself, like it was alive. And then I looked to see where the second one was and that hadn't stopped. And by that time that came right over the top of us, right above the oak tree next to me. And the only thing I could think to do was to wave. With all the military activity that was going on that night, I didn't want us to appear to be hostile. And it changed colour from tail light red to traffic light green. And I, I felt it scan me. It was the only thing I couldn't be tested for on my polygraph tests because it was a feeling rather than a fact. And I felt like someone had reached in and took the fear away from me. It was the most, I don't know, angelic feeling I've ever felt in my life. Uh, and this green object then moved away to my right-hand side above the rooftops. And the red object that had remained sentry the whole time moved to my left-hand side and low across the fields. And I watched it until I couldn't see it anymore. David and I had walked down to what we call the second gate, the entrance to the field where this pyramid had come across, because he said he saw 15 or 20 of these objects to see if there were any more. And the E3 sentry above us followed us. And what I mean by that is it was flying in this oval flight pattern. And as we moved, so did that oval flight pattern move with us. And when we walked back, it came back with us. But when we got down to the gate, our phones didn't work. And I don't know if that had something to do with the E3 sentry or these barrel-shaped objects that were emitting extremely high EMF. And we know this only from the investigation that's been done since. David's phone was fried completely. Um, mine was completely flat, and I knew it wasn't before we went out there. And to be quite honest with you, I didn't think about even filming that thing until the barrels started coming towards me. And that's when I reached for my phone. Before that time, I, I just stood in shock and awe of what I was seeing. We walked down to the second gate. We couldn't see anything. It was slippery. It was February. It was the middle of winter. We didn't have a torch between us. And the ground was uneven. So we walked back to the first gate where we'd observed all of this. And we saw three Apache helicopters coming low across the fields, one above two, with their slow red pulsing lights going out in front of them in an, on an interception course, if you like, with where the green object had gone before. 
we felt like we were only at the gate for maybe 10 minutes and that includes walking down to the first gate and back again. When we ran around the front of the houses to see if we could see further up the valley, to see if we could see the helicopters, by the time we got there, they'd already gone. We walked back to my house. We were polar opposites for, to each other. I was energised. I had to tell someone, anyone, that would know what to do with this information. And David was the complete opposite. Fear, rigid with fear, talking through gritted teeth. And it felt quite surreal for me that the only thing that was left in the air was the E3 sentry. Like, did this really just happen? We came back to my house and we had a hot drink. I don't think we actually spoke to each other. And David went home. I went to my bed, not that I could sleep. And I heard an enormous explosion come from Clantricent, which is about five miles away from me. I mean, this was a kaboom. This was not a little pop. This was a huge explosion. And we now know that explosion measured on the Richter scale, 40 miles away in Monmouth. And I knew in my heart that the Apache helicopters had shot it down. But proving it was where the investigation came in. And now we can prove that's exactly what they did. They shot it over Tlantrescent Common. The troops there did a meticulous metal search to pick up parts of the rocket that they used to shoot it with to incapacitate it because it didn't actually come straight down. And it crashed into Smilog Woods, which are the a large wooded hill that rises behind the Royal Morgan Hospital. The same morning, but later, we'd gone out to the field where the pyramid, where this hand of lightning had come out of the pyramid. I expected to see burn marks on the ground, but there weren't any, but there were some strange anomalies. All the plant life was dead, all the bushes, all the grass, like something had sucked all the chlorophyll out of them. And it was snowing just in that one field, not in the surrounding fields. We walked the whole perimeter of the surrounding fields and it wasn't snowing. And I remember being like quite a child and standing on the edge of the field and watching the snow fall in front of me, but not on me. We come back to my house, Wells Online, our local news outlet, had posted that military helicopters had kept people awake because it was a military exercise called Exercise Chameleon. Well, I didn't know you weren't supposed to talk about UFOs. And I immediately placed a comment underneath to say, I can categorically assure you that was no exercise. What I saw last night will stay with me for the rest of my life. And what they were chasing were not planes. And I had a couple of what you called debunkers. One of them called themselves the smoking man. And one of them called themselves Agent Fox Mulder because they really do like their play on words. They used fake Facebook profiles. So these people were military personnel at ground level from the off. Uh, one of them said, oh, you know, laugh out loud, a good one. And because I like a bit of sarcasm, I was like, well, yes, it was good, actually. I said, you may have shot, chased and shot down the green object, but you left all the others here, didn't you? Anyway, other people had started to make comments. As we now know, there were over 20 military helicopter gunships in the air. They had C-17s, C-130s. They had two E-3 sentries. 
They had fast jets, Puma helicopters, Lynx helicopters, Chinook helicopters, and all at the same time. This was not an exercise. And over a residential area in the early hours of the morning. Some people had said about the helicopters circling over Clantrissant Common, and that was really my start point because I wanted to know what had happened to the green object. I wanted to find the impact crater. So we'd gone out the same day, the same morning, to Flantrissant Common, and all of the metal that had been on the common for years had been neatly stacked up along the roadside. Old bikes, bit of old car, you know, fridge over there. There had clearly been a meticulous metal search on the common. When we asked the Ministry of Defence why they did this, they claimed Section 26, not in the public interest. Well, I spoke to two dog walkers that morning, bearing in mind this is the morning after the night before, if they'd seen or heard anything. And they explained where the Chinooks had landed, where the troops were, and where the second explosion had come from. The first explosion was in the air, and the second one sounded like it had come from Smilog Woods. So we immediately went to Smilog Woods because I wanted to find the impact crater. And it wasn't long before we found the debris trail. 60-foot trees had been snapped mid-trunk as far as the eye could see. 60-foot trees. These trees had exploded. Um, we followed the debris trail so far. And then I, it, because it was hard going getting through the woods, I said to my friend who was with me, we'll have to go back and tell the others what we'd found because... Uh, and a plan was hatched to go up the very next morning, which is the morning of the 27th, to take cameras with us and follow the debris trail through to its end and find the impact crater, which is what we did. Um, whatever had happened turned my hair white, completely white, overnight. And I don't know if that was the shock. It's actually in the crash site video. Uh, you can see my hair in the crash site video. I'm, I'm a little bit, you know, salt and pepper, but <laughs> I'm not completely white. And, and I was, which was a little bit of a shock the next morning, I have to say. So the next day we've gone up there, all of us with cameras, and we followed the debris trail through to its end. And the cleanup had already started. Some of the larger branches that had been, had been moved and, and dragged into huge piles already. So they'd already started to clean this up. And when we got through to the end, there were six enormous trees that had been snapped 20 feet in the air, mid-trunk, and burn marks and scrape marks on all the surrounding trees. And the burn marks were white, not black, and a really pungent smell, like burning rubber or a cross between fireworks and, a, and burning rubber. It was bizarre. Anyway... There were scrape marks with, the, with living wood that had curled outwards towards you like something big and heavy had been dragged up against these trees. We now know that there were three Chinook helicopters going backwards and forwards from St. Athen to Smilog Woods over and over again, this time escorted by two Apache helicopters because one had to do an emergency landing at Cardiff International Airport with its cockpit on fire, one of our best gunships, 
and we believe that was the Apache that fired the shot and was caught in the kinetic wave. The MOD told us that it was a fake incendiary device was the reason for this explosion. But the kinetic wave was so great, it shook patients awake in their hospital beds. It shook the Royal Glamorgan Hospital down to its foundations. The smoke was so dense falling from the air, it resembled a foggy night. It came through the windows and through the vents and filled the hospital corridors with smoke. Not a little bit of smoke. This was smoke from a missile. People were shaken awake in their beds, in their homes. All the car alarms were set off in the streets, all the streets. The police closed all the roads and part of the M4 motorway, which is the equivalent of one of your large highways over there. And when we asked the police why they did this via a freedom of information request, the first uh, answer that we got was that it was a vexatious request, worrisome to people. And we're asking about road closures that happened years ago, and they're telling us it's worrisome. So we asked for an internal review. And three years later, the answer they gave us was that they couldn't find anybody, sorry, any evidence of the incident or any evidence of road closures. But the police officers involved have since left the organisation. If there was no incident, how did they know who was involved? So the police themselves just give really stupid answers. The Ministry of Defence have slipped up multiple times, um, which is what they're, what they're now calling as mistakes. Um, when we asked about the planes that were here for three days and three nights and the E3 Sentry uh, prior to the incident, they told us that they held no information within the scope of our request. There was no NOTAMs and no exercises listed for those aircraft. Two years and eight months later, we get a, an acknowledgement. Section 26, not in the public interest. Well, shortly after the event, we had some strange men and women come and camp in the fields here in Penturk. It's never happened before or since. And I only actually knew they were there because of my local Penturk hut, because other residents have been told different stories as to who these people were. Some residents have been told they were a fracking survey team, which did not go down well in the village. Others were told that they were Vodafone, uh, a mobile phone network. And that kind of tweaked my curiosity. And I wanted to go over and see what they were doing, but I didn't want to go on my own. So a friend has come with me and I'd taken my small dog with me under the guise of taking my dog for a walk. And as I approached the gate, the same gate that where we viewed everything, there were two soldiers walking towards us. They were wearing full digital camouflage and they were carrying real guns with live ammunition. There were no yellow caps in the end of the guns, implying they were carrying blanks. And one of them said to me in a very middle-class English accent, almost Eton educated, I were doing a military exercise in case of an emergency situation if you see anything funny going on in the fields. Okay, you need guns for that, do you? Yes, was the answer. So we'd walk past them and down the trail and I'd turn left into the field where they were camped because they were camped behind the trees and I couldn't actually see them from my house. Mm -hmm. And initially I started to walk around the perimeter of the field and then I thought, 
no, I want to get closer. So we'd cut across the field and this huge dog has run out of one of the tents towards me. And I've asked my friend to pick my dog up because I didn't want her to get bitten. I now know it to be some kind of pit bull type of dog. And I could see two men in one of the tents. And one was standing and one was seated. And I remember shouting to them saying, put your dog on a lead. This is nearly lambing season. The farmer's got a shotgun and he's not afraid to use it. Well, with that, somebody answered me and said, what? Well, that was my inn. So I walked up straight through the middle of their camp and I took photographs of their camp. And their camp was in perfect straight lines. Every string was in a perfect straight line. And I've always said, you can take the man out of the army, but you can't take the army out of the man. And I've walked around to the tent where this guy, one guy was seated operating quite a large laptop type device, but it wasn't a laptop. It was in a steel case and he had to use two hands to close the lid of it. And they really didn't like being watched or asked what they were doing. So I asked who they were and they told me they were Vodafone doing field research. So within 10 minutes, I've been told two different stories. They're either doing a military exercise or they're Vodafone. So I'd gone back to my house and Donna, one of my other neighbours, had said, have you seen what they're doing down in the field? And I said, well, no, we only went round to where the campsite was. So she'd gone back out and they were doing a fingertip search of the field where the pyramid first came in on their hands and knees wearing white forensic suits. And they too had one of those laptop type devices. They also had one on the Jeep at the end of the trail with big tarpaulins up so you couldn't see what they were doing. And they didn't like to be watched. If anybody approached them or got close, they would all stand up and stare at you until you were out of sight. Like, And I described it like a weird cult 60s movie. It was a really spooky thing. Uh, you couldn't ask them any questions. They weren't interested in answering you. You know, they'd always look around to make sure that there's nothing in your sight. Uh, they stayed for a week. Uh, later that same night, we decided that we would go out and skywatch. And I saw one of the guys that was in the tent earlier. He was the guy that was standing up with the dog. And he was snapping these night lights and putting them around the campsite. And I didn't know where the rest of the crew were whether they were out being debriefed somewhere. Uh, and he saw us and he came over to ask what we were doing. And I said, well, we're sky watching. Are you here because of the UFO? And he said, oh, no, no, no. We don't know anything about that. Talking about himself in the plural. But I found it odd that he didn't ask any questions about it either. So I asked him what they were doing down in the field wearing white forensic suits. And he said, oh, we were looking for mines. And I said, do you send civilians wearing paper suits to look for mines? I said, because that's a sure way to find them. Um, anyway, with that, he told us that he was security for the camp and the rest of the group had come back. So we'd opened the gate and let them in. And they'd all gone back to the campsite together. And then he came back a few minutes later and said, will you be here for long? And I said, well, we will be here for as long as the sky is clear, really. And he said, well, my commanding officer is not going to like that. So I looked at my friends and I said, I didn't know Vodafone had a commanding officer. He said, well, he's going to want to speak to you. I said, fine. So he went back to the camp to get his commanding officer. And what I didn't realise at the time, and I do now, 
was that I had post-traumatic stress from this incident and my emotions were very erratic and I would go from zero to a hundred, you know, immediately. And he came out, this quite stocky, angry man, you're trespassing. I went, no, you know, that's a public footpath. He said, have you got permission to be here? I said, I don't need permission to be here. Um, and then he pointed to the public footpath. He said, no, that's a public footpath. I said, are you joking? That's like 12 feet away. He said, the only thing the country code desires me to do is take my rubbish home. And I think there was some conversation along the lines of, have you got identification? And I blew. I just remember saying to him about the fascist war movies and how they come on the trains and ask you for your, your papers. I said, well, I don't have to show you anything. And then I shouted this in his face. I can't believe I did it. That we fought two world wars without the right to be free. And as long as I'm not breaking the law or hurting anybody, I've got a goddamn right to be here. And he stood there and said, I just, I admire your passion. He was quite taken back that somebody had shouted back at him. But I said before, it's like something's been lost along the way. Like they serve us. And now the civilians are the ones that are in the way. And that's sad. That That's wrong. Anyway, he went back to his camp. He, he was like a small child, I think, that had been told off. And we could only stay there for about half an hour after that because the rain came and we went back to my house. But you could hear them shouting out in the middle of the night, whatever they were doing over there. We think they were triangulating a satellite now into that area but we don't know that for sure but with three of those objects I would suggest that that's what they were doing some form of triangulation um, there's a lot more evidence since then that we found when Swansea UFO Network and in particular Gary Jones who's been the lead investigator into this case got involved 18 months after the event the EMF and radiation found in those two fields, just where the pyramid was, was so high, it was the equivalent of being x-rayed for two hours solid. Wow. The team wow. themselves became very ill from being in those fields. Nausea and headaches was the biggest thing. Dizziness, disorientation and skin burning, eyes burning were others, all symptoms of radiation sickness. Um, the EMF trail runs for over a 1,000 feet, and 18 months after the event was still harmful to human beings. We do actually have a nuclear scientist involved now to check the Geiger counter readings, um, and we've also sent the results to Switzerland to, again, check the readings to make sure the scientific evidence proves that we had some kind of nuclear event in that field, more specifically in the ball patch, because the decaying radiation is 103.5 days exactly, which is the scale in which radiation decays. So we can now, with the um, Geiger counter readings that they took 18 months after the event, calculate how high it was on the day. So there are a lot of scientific evidence. We've had two new witnesses come forward with photographs that are date-timed and stamped 
for 2.33am on the 26th of February 2016 of the objects the military were chasing. And people ask me if I think they were hostile. No, they were not hostile. One, because David and I wouldn't be here. Two, because their military aircraft wouldn't be here either. But that these things were seen to try and hide. And they ran for their lives. When they were pursued, they ran and tried to hide. And that's sad. Well, I, I have a few questions for you. First of all, thank you for that account. I feel like, uh, I almost feel like I'm listening to an audio book. It was so, so the story was so well done. Um, uh, thank you for that. Um, some questions that come to mind. First of all, how many people populate the general area of Penturk? About 900. But this happened right on the outskirts of Penturk in the farmland. Uh, going towards Flantrissen and it was really more the surrounding villages that would have had more noise because those things were completely silent and we only had like I say the E3 sentry and then the the two C-17s and C-130s that just flew over but more Pentuk, more Flantrissen and the surrounding villages would have had all the noise from the helicopters their houses shaking um, and they're the ones that know a lot more because that was the noisy end, if you like, to more than the people in the village here. Um, I, I totally get how you said your hair turned white overnight. Um, yeah. It does sound like severe stress. And at some point, did you think it was the end of the world? I mean, that's uh, when you were describing that. I mean, it just have been, must have been so fantastical to witness. I mean, what was your... What was your feeling? I was, I was saddened by what had happened because no hand of friendship was extended, no attempt to communicate whatsoever. They'd set an ambush for this thing. They knew it was coming and they pursued it and shot it down without mercy. That and how is, do you think they knew? It, uh, this is bizarre because you I said... I no idea. Yeah, you said I it have, seemed like it appeared from like another dimension or something. Yeah. And that also made me wonder why if they were shooting at it or whatever, whatever they were doing, why it didn't also disappear um, the way it came in, you know, to avoid that. Yeah, and, the, uh, the pyramid did. It came in, oh. jettisoned, I believe, a decoy and the 15 or 20 other objects and then went back the way it came. I see. But the objects that came out of it were these barrel-shaped objects. David described them as dancing with each other. Um, the green object that was first ejected, the really bright one, I think was a deliberate decoy. You know, it deliberately got the plane's attention and then got really excited that our planes were following it, as if to draw the aircraft away from the main craft and the, the load that it had jettisoned. But the barrel-shaped objects were not hostile at all. And, you know, we've had three re remote viewers on this case and the biggest thing they pick up on is fear from them. You know, they tried to hide from their helicopters. If they were hostile, wouldn't they have shot them down? There's you know, been a, they, right. There's been a lot of people that have said, you know, one of the reasons, you know, they're speculating, but one of the reasons why whoever it is is not showing themselves is because they know how hostile we've been. I mean, look at the 20th century. We, we killed more people in the 20th century than all, all other centuries, you know, that we know of. Um, 
and a very violent society, very tribal. And um, yeah. if anyone's paying attention, they would seem like they wouldn't want to show themselves uh, to a hostile, uh, you know, people like we are. Right. Which is why I don't believe for a moment that the pyramid was cloaked in any way. Because if it was cloaked, why didn't it stay cloaked? And if it was cloaked, surely it could have been anywhere. But the military knew that it was coming here. And we have three ley lines that cross here. And with some research done by the team, it appears that some of the biggest sightings of UFOs across the world have happened where these ley lines are. Um, I, I was extremely saddened by what had happened that night because, and I, I've always said this, that the military are not typical of human beings. Their interest is in weaponry and technology. And somebody said to me, well, my son's a member of the military um, and he's a human being. I said, yes, but he's part of the machine and you follow orders. You don't question them. Love and compassion is a huge part of what makes us human. And what right do we have to tar them all with the same brush? Because I don't want to be represented that way. What if they come back with their gunships? Where yeah. does that leave us when we're not yeah. even supposed to know they exist? That's a, that's a really good point. And how many other witnesses have been as vocal as you have been on this? Okay, well, David has been known to talk about it privately, but he won't come out publicly and speak about it um, because he too received threats. In fact, they gestured towards his small child and said, wasn't he worried about what was going to happen to his kid? They threatened me with perhaps a fatal car accident that extended to my family. That's why I went public. Now, can you, can you elaborate on that? Yes. Um, I was contacted on my Facebook page which I have been by many other people that have wanted that have had an interest in the case. And they wanted to come out and view where this has happened and experience perhaps the high EMF that up until recently, this year anyway, still existed. And this man who had been on Facebook, who'd been a member of practically every UFO group on Facebook, had contacted me saying that he had an interest in the case and would I meet him? And I contacted the administrators for most of these pages and asked, did anybody know him? And they said no, but he was a member of their group and had been for 18 months, the exact time that I'd remained silent. So I agreed to meet with him. And initially I was describing what had happened to him. And he wasn't trying to envisage, he was remembering. This man was part of whatever happened that night. Uh, I took him out to the ball patch. I wasn't on my own, fortunately. And I handed him an EMF detector and someone who would genuinely had a, an interest in the case would have been eyes on the, the EMF detector waiting for the alarms to go off but he kind of swung it by his side and was disinterested. And he stood in the ball patch and looked across to the field where the pyramid had first come in and asked me what it was I wanted, which I thought was a strange question. And I said I didn't want anything for myself. 
I said I'm on borrowed time anyway because for a while I became very ill with what had happened, physically ill. Um, I said it doesn't really matter what happens to me. I said my word will still stand anyway. And he said, well, what do you mean? And I said, well, I've taken three bolograph tests and passed them all with the leading forensic polygraph exam examiner in the country, Miss Carrie Austin, who's not only the leading forensic polygraph examiner, but also the designer for the pretest for polygraphs. She is the best. Um, as we walked back to the gate, David was there with his child. And he chested up to David and gestured to his child and said, aren't you worried about what's going to happen to your kid? And immediately David left the area. And I wasn't quite sure that had just happened. But he said to me, don't you know, he said, five people were killed in a car accident recently. He said, accidents happen all the time. Aren't you worried about what's going to happen to you and your family? Uh, but it was more the way it was said rather than what was said. And it was definitely a threat. Uh, and that was when I decided that's enough. I'd stayed silent for too long. And if something had happened to me then, no one would know what really happened that night. Uh, and that's when I decided to speak out. Because I believe this has the most profound implications for us all. This, if this was just a UFO sighting, I probably wouldn't have said anything at all. Those things were innocent and they shot them down anyway. Where does that leave us? Hmm. Now, has you mentioned David, but are there other people that have witnessed this as yeah. well? I mean, I mean, with all uh, the ruckus going on with all the, the planes and everything overhead for a couple of days, it seems like there would be. Yes, we have a witness in Betis in Bridgend that saw the green objects, the cluster of green objects being pursued by military jets and the helicopters. We have a witness in Tom Pentra that saw the green object being pursued by the helicopters back down the valley. We've had two witnesses come forward now um, that not only saw the green object bouncing around, they describe, describe like Tigger off Winnie the Pooh, trying to find somewhere to hide from the helicopters, while the helicopters panned left and right across the fields looking for it. But also took photographs of these objects that the military were pursuing that night and have made statements in, for that. The photographs have not been made public. I was hoping to make, be able to make them public on your show tonight, but it is part of a team decision that these photographs will be released and certainly will be presented to the Senate because I'm not a keyboard warrior. I'm in the real world and I want a public inquiry into this because what the military did that night was illegal and unjust. You know, if there is a conflict going on, and clearly there is, only a government with the power to declare a war has the right to declare a war. In our country, the Queen has a royal prerogative to start a war if she so wished. But even then, it's publicly debated in Parliament. The military defence talk quite often about a public interest test. Well, if they want a public interest test, 
let's have a public vote on disclosure in this country because this involves us all. And those things were innocent. We're having it sold to us that UFOs are hostile. They were not hostile. They were afraid and they ran for their lives and we shot them down anyway. That's awful. I don't want to be represented that way at all. Yeah, yeah. Um, we're going into break in about five minutes or so, but I wanted to uh, I wanted to post this question up for you to see. And someone wanted to know, uh, can you go over her latest footage? I don't know what that is. This person obviously knows. Um, you have some you have some footage. I have footage of the crash site. And that's not latest footage. Um, I see. It was okay. taken on the 27th of February, 2016, when we went up to the crash site. Yeah. Uh, where you can see all the broken trees. You can see my white hair. Um, but, now, a question uh, about the, the site. Um, are you going there still? I mean, are you looking? Have you gone there many times? I live here. This is in my backyard. I live so here. how far away from where you live is this? Was this site actually mile, miles or so? Well, the gate is about thirty seconds away from my house. Um, where this pyramid came in was about two hundred yards away from me. Um, in the very next field to me, so I viewed it from two hundred yards away. But this thing was enormous. Um, I'm trying to think of the footage that he's talking about. Yep. Uh, maybe it's something you read or something. I don't, I'm not really sure, but um, so what I'm, I'm, I'm getting at, I mean, has anyone, you said that you had a UFO researcher, you mentioned his name. Um, has anyone gone to the site to try, I mean, can you go there physically without being told to go away first of all? And then um, has anyone tried to look for, actual debris of any kind? Um, to be honest with you, I don't know anything about UFOs. I didn't know about EMF. I didn't know about radiation. I didn't know that it was like some kind of fingerprint um, that these crafts seem to leave behind. I don't know if there's any debris. We've had some paranormal groups get involved, and I have to be open-minded now with what I've seen. Um, and it challenged everything I thought I believed. And they did what they call a spirit box or something. Uh, and it was a, a group called Paranormal Now, led by a guy called Richard Oliver, who's done this for about 20 years. And it talked about that our air agents are listening there and how one of them perished in the crash. And this was unprompted. This just came came through. I was, I was blown away by it. Um, we could talk about uh, the excuse that the Forestry Commission about why they felled the trees. That might be the footage that the gentleman or lady is talking about. But I don't know if we have sufficient time in this half to do that because it is quite lengthy. Um, but we've actually proved that they've lied on two freedom of information requests as to why they felled the trees, which is interesting. It is. And, um, you know, just we just have three minutes left here. And until we go into break, but when can you just give a couple of examples enough that three minutes will allow of other ways that 
you've been stymied and uh, this is a more or less, what makes you think this is a cover up? I know you mentioned some things in the beginning, but um, this is kind of an ongoing thing for you, right? Yes. Yes. Um, well, when my name was blocked, uh, the Penn Turk incident is very hard to find considering how many hits it's had in the last three weeks. A friend of mine did some research on YouTube and recently to see how many hits there had been on the Pentuk UFO incident. And it came back with a big fat zero, which is absolutely untrue, as there has been a short documentary done by a group called Paranormal Scholar. Um, and that video has had over 500,000 hits in three weeks. So half a million at least. And yet the Pentuk incident doesn't come up at all. You have to dig really deep to find any information on it at all. Um, and that is evidence of the cover-up by Google, by YouTube, by Facebook, by BitChute. I have four presentations on BitChute. And yet if you put the Pentuk UFO incident on BitChute in the search bar, nothing comes up. Nothing. This is a systematic cover-up of the truth. Amazing. Well, all right. Thank you. We're going to be going into break. And for those of you at YouTube, I'm going to play a clip of uh, when I had a chat with uh, Ash about Story Musgrave. So thank you. We'll be right back right after these messages. This is just a short clip I recorded with Seth Shostak the other night, October 22nd, 2019. And he mentioned that Story Musgrave, the astronaut, uh, claimed that he had heard aliens in the muffin fans. So I just wanted to set this straight because um, he said it twice on my show, uh, two different shows. So I thought I'd share this clip right here of me uh, telling this to Story Musgrave himself and his reaction. Here it is. The little story Musgrave, in the narrow experiences that I've had, I don't have any evidence we've been visited here. Not to say it hasn't happened. Um, do you mind? I'm going to play a quick clip. Um, I had a UFO debate with uh, Dr. Sh Seth Shostak from the SETI, and uh, he mentions your name, and I'd like to play this quick clip, and then I'd like to have your opinion after it. It's less than oh. a minute, so I'm going to play it right now. Okay. So you wouldn't consider witnesses, so many witnesses, say, for instance, astronaut Gordon Cooper and former Governor Fife Symington and people like that. What would you say about them being as observers? Oh, well, I don't think that they're professional observers. I mean, it's, it's not that I'm impugning their integrity. I've talked with a lot of the astronauts, Edgar Mitchell and Gene Cernan and all these guys, you know. And, and if you talk to them about these things, to begin with, usually it's secondhand. They haven't actually seen these things themselves. They heard somebody else talk about it. But even if they have seen them themselves, you know, Story Musgraves thought he heard the aliens and the muffin fans in the, uh, in the space shuttle. Okay, I, I don't think he's lying. I don't think he's making something up. But I don't consider that very good evidence. And in fact, anybody who's in forensics will tell you that witness testimony is about the poorest kind of evidence there is, particularly in science. So I just ran that clip. And what do you, what do you have to say to his uh, comment? 
Well, I, I don't know where he's getting it from. I, I certainly didn't hear any aliens in the fans. So I, I don't know where that's coming from. What I did comment on is the fans, the particular fans, cause a reverberation in the hearing system in me. All right, that's it. Thanks for listening. And uh, make sure you check out our live shows. We live stream every Tuesday at 6 to 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Welcome back. Uh, This is Martin Willis, and my guest tonight is Kaz Clark, and we're talking about the Penturk UFO. It's spelled Pentrick, but it's uh, with a, it's Penturk. Um, And here comes Kaz. Welcome back, Kaz. Hi. Hi. So um, I'm going to take a look in, uh, in chat as, and because I'd had a lot of people um, were posting early on, and um, do you? Uh, someone just commented they think it's one of the biggest cover-ups. But um, after this happened to you, did you start looking? You said you know you had nothing to do with UFOs, and I totally get that. This experience kind of threw itself at you, and uh, and kind of changed your life. I would not no, it changed your life, <laughs> and uh, what. What would you say um, to other things that have happened? Like we mentioned, uh, you know, Rendlesham Force, that comes up a lot. What do you think about that case? Have you looked at others is what I'm getting getting at, other cases? Um, I haven't really looked at any other UFO cases. Um, I think the world famous one for me would be Roswell. Um, yeah. And I think that was a real event. Um, you know, this certainly was with the the cover-up that's gone on with the lying in the freedom of information request. You know, it didn't even get into why the trees were felled in Smile of Woods. And I think somebody in the comments did actually ask about that. Um, but, no, I haven't really looked at any other UFO cases um, because I'm not a ufologist. And I'm still not. But I believe and I still and I feel responsible, not only for us, but also for them, for what we did to them, because... It was cruel, absolutely cruel. They they didn't attack anyone. They were not hostile, as the military or the governments are trying to portray them to be. I, I believe we would be foolish to believe all life forms are benign. It's the same as we'd be foolish to believe that we are alone. Um, you know, we've been told about more Earth-like planets in the last two years than we've been told about in our lifetime. How Earth-like do they have to be to sustain life? And... Whatever these things were, I didn't see any funny-looking aliens. These craft themselves were alive. They were the essence of life encapsulated in these these barrel-shaped objects. They were intelligent, and they had feelings. What right did we have? They didn't do anything to anyone. That's horrific. I have heard... um, probably about three or four times since I've been doing this show of people describing um, a craft as thinking that it was alive. 
you're not the first one who's I've heard mention this before. And uh, one of them, you know, claims that um, she could feel like emotion or something from this craft and the whole thing felt like it was, uh, you know, like moving. I don't want to say breathing, but she could feel that it was alive, which is, which is pretty, pretty hard to wrap your mind around. You think Mine was about, an extremely spiritual feeling. Uh, like I said before, like someone had reached in and took the fear away from me. It was like euphoric. It was like pure love. That's what it felt like. It was. And you're actually not the first. You're not the first one that has said that either. Um, Jack, I'm trying to think of the Jack Warner from the uh, Allagash incident that happened in the state of Maine back in the ni- late 1970s. He was saying that uh, that was the feeling that he actually got. Um, he told this in an interview of my friend Alejandro Rojas interviewed him. Um, I didn't get a chance to speak with him directly, just his brother. But he said that it he felt like it was the most purest love that he could ever That's imagine, exactly. which is uh, exactly. which is hard to, again to wrap your mind that you could feel this from whatever the experience is. Pretty That's exactly what it felt like. Someone wanted to know, are you still having experiences at home? Any? I don't know. Are you having any type of experiences related to this? Not from the same craft, but we do have objects that fly in and out here quite regularly. And if you've never seen a UFO, I think this is the place to be. I think it's extremely active. Um, but by smaller individual craft as opposed to magnificent, majestic pyramids that can fly and jettison smaller craft. I never expected that. That um, certainly changed and challenged everything I thought I knew and believed um, at that point. I bet. I bet. And you mentioned that this, this pyramid it came up, there were some lights that were brighter on one side or maybe it was a side closer to you or something like yes. that. And, and it kind of rose up. It didn't go in a, in the, uh, in a formation that you would think it would be in for like traveling. A lot of people have said things like they've seen triangle UFOs travel backwards or sideways or whatever uh, we think as aerodynamic, the opposite. And is that kind of what was going on? It, it just it it just kind of traveled in that, moved in that manner. This was three sided. The leading edge that was closest to me as it came in were brighter than all the other lights. I had red lights all the way around it, um, turning very slowly anti clockwise, and then went back. So I could then see two edges of it. So I know it was three-sided. And then it just switched its lights off. I don't know if it was still there or, and I just couldn't see it or if it had gone back the way that it had come. But the EMF trail and the radiation starts at a point and finishes at a point and nowhere else. Nowhere else. So that can only be the answer that it came in jettisoned its load and went again you know I I don't know about aerodynamics it certainly defies 
anything that we would build to fly. And what about um, how close would you say you are particular? From the pyramid, about 200 yards away. And again. I can't hear Martin at all. No, pretty close. And the other eyes fly away from you. I'm sorry, can you repeat the question? I can't hear. Well, having trouble with I think I'll do until we can get back to you there. Oh, yes. Oh, me another window. I think I'll you there. I am here. Um, you may be having some right. issues, so, Martin. But Kaz, there are a lot of people. Is it, my, know, is it my side? Yes, it's your end, uh, okay. Martin. So you may want to leave the, the stream nice. and then come okay. back. Um, Kaz, yeah. what what do you say I, to about this room? You know, yeah, you're in a hotel room, so I can't imagine. <laughs> what do you say to about to to all the people that um, the, the the naysayers? Um, that try to come up with a rational explanation of what occurred on, on that evening? I wish there was a rational explanation. I'm not here to convince anyone. I'm here to inform you this happened and this was real. You know, I can't convince someone if they don't want to believe. That's the point. Just please look at the evidence. There is a mounting of ev evidence now you know, from the lies that the Ministry of Defence have told, the lies that the police have told, the lies that the Forestry Commission have told over and over again on multiple freedom of information requests. Why are they lying if there is some, nothing happened, you know? Why are they searching the fields of Penturk on their hands and knees wearing forensic suits if nothing happened? Why did they come in camp here with armed guards if nothing happened? Ask yourself this. When we asked the Ministry of Defence, why did they lie about who they were? They didn't say they didn't lie. They said Section 26, which means that this was a covert operation. And if this was covert, this means this was a real situation and not an exercise. No exercise was ever listed. No plans were ever made. No permission was ever given for these people to be in the fields. When we asked the Ministry of Defence, who were these people? They said they had no information within the scope of our request. When we asked them what they were doing, we were told Section 26, not in the public interest. Only the military can hide behind Section 26. So why were they here and what were they doing? There's one reason, because of what happened here was real. You know, if, God forbid, somebody was having an operation in the hospital that night, because the whole hospital shook. You know, what mm. they did was illegal. They would never do an exercise over a residential area for fear of accident, for no other reason. They have their own land 40 miles away in Sunnybridge. If they want to go and blow themselves up, they are welcome to do so. It's their land if they want to use live ammunition. But they would never use it over a residential area. But they did that night. They did that I just night. Have, I just and have no one, one quick more. Sorry. 
I, I apologize. Uh, Martin, if I can, I just have one more question, if, if possible. Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Did you ever put in a request for any of um, the radar indicators of that evening uh, to see if anything was captured during this event? Well, we have all the radar returns from all of the planes that were involved that night, including ZZ-418, Corsine Snake 48, that was here for three days and three nights, along with its partner plane, that left this area and then at the time of the explosion was circling Smilog Woods, and not just anywhere in Smilog Woods, the exact impact site. Um, we know they took something back from the woods to St. Athen the EMF readings and radiation in Smilog Woods at the crash site are huge, or were huge, I should say, up until last year anyway. Um, you know, what, what other reason would there be for an Apache helicopter to have to do an emergency landing at Cardiff International Airport, a civilian airport, whereas St. Athen is only 14 miles away. So, you know, they, they couldn't go the extra length to St. Athen they had to land at Cardiff International Airport um, with his cockpit on fire. Um, you know, the Welsh Extremism Counterterrorism Unit telephoned the hospital at four in the morning just after the explosion to tell them that their services were not required. They also telephoned the Royal Mint and told them that this was an exercise. But it wasn't. Nobody knew anything. Local government didn't know anything. The hospital weren't told anything. Uh, the fire service weren't told anything. If this was an exercise, everybody would have known. Local news didn't know anything. Nobody knew anything until after the fact. And after the fact, it's too late. Have a great rest of the show. I'm out of here. Thank you. I appreciate you. And don't go far because you never know if this Internet's going to quit again here. I'm going to take calls soon. Oh, that's right. And uh, yeah, in about 20 minutes. Um, here's a question. Someone says, why are you not asking about independence and independent evidence? And they, they were asking me why I was not asking you. So I'm letting them ask you, is there any independent evidence on this? What evidence do you want? I mean, um, you know, Swansea UFO Network are independent. Gary Jones is independent. You know, we've now got scientists involved to look at the radiation readings. They're independent, and there's two of those, uh, one in the USA and one in Switzerland to analyze the radiation. They're independent. You know, um, I, I don't know what other evidence I can talk about. You know, the trees that were felled in smaller woods, we were told, had larch disease, and they were supposed to do a sanitized felling, which they never did. They left everything there. Uh, so we asked them why they didn't do a sanitized felling, and they told us that there were time the time constraints for this replanting didn't apply to that forest, but it does for the rest of Wales, it does for the rest of the UK, it does for the rest of Europe, just not that forest because they replanted it within a year. Uh, they were told that they were served with a plant health notice, and they were told that they had large disease. Well, they felled them in December and January, December of 2016, in January 2017, and if they were indeed infected with large disease, they shouldn't have felled them until June, after June the 30th, because there's no way to tell those trees had large disease without the leaves on them. Um, so they said that they were served with a plant health notice. So we went back to the management strategy meetings for the last decade, and there has never 
been a plant health notice served on Smilog Woods in the last decade, so they lied twice on a freedom of information request. Why are these people lying? Why is the Ministry of Defence lying? On about seven different occasions now, we've caught them out contradicting themselves. Why, if nothing happened? You know, I'm, as I say, I'm not here to convince people. Please look at the evidence. It's independent. I am just a witness. I'm the one that, that came out publicly and spoke about this. But there are other witnesses. I'm not the only witness. But I am carrying the flag for this because I think we have a right to know. Right. Um, do you think you will ever get somewhere on this? I mean, do you, are you optimistic that if you speak enough about it and, and get out there and stir it up a little bit, that you will um, have some forward motion? Well, I hope so. I'm not a keyboard warrior. I won't sit behind a keyboard and just talk about this. I'm doing something in the real world. We are going to the Welsh Senate, the Welsh government, to ask for a public inquiry about that night. Because even if you were to take the UFO out of the situation, what the military did that night was illegal, period. So we want a public inquiry into that. I'm also going to ask for a public vote. But the evidence that is now mounting is huge. The scientific evidence that is mounting proves something happened in those fields. Beyond any doubt, something happened. The evidence that we have of the photographs of the objects that the military were pursuing that night in this so-called exercise will all be presented to the government, to the Welsh government, because this happened on Welsh soil. Um, And as much as the Welsh government are answerable to Westminster and London, they're not entirely answerable. And we want to get to the bottom of this. You know, there will be a petition going out. I, I want, and I can't really discuss what that petition will be about right now because we're still waiting for certain freedom of information requests to come back from South Wales Police, and it took them three years the last time. So I have a meeting with a Senate member on the 17th of this month to go to the Senate to present the evidence, including the photographs and the witness testimonies to this case, to prove beyond any doubt this was not a military exercise, And what they did was illegal and unjust and affects us all. Every single, it affects you and your families, me and my families, our children, their children. You know, our future as a planet. What have they done? Isn't there time to stop all of this? You know, we need to be able to put right what the military have done. They've had carte blanche on this for the last 60 or 70 years. And if that's the only contact that they've, they've had with human beings, what does that make us? This is so wrong and it needs to stop. And we need to be told where we stand. So if there are hostile ones out there, people don't put themselves in danger so that we might know the difference because we're not alone and we never have been. Well, yes, I, I, I think you're probably right about that, um, that part of it. And as far as, you know, the people that are, I guess I want to say helping you there, it sounds to me like you have a lot of people that are helping you, you know, present this. You mentioned um, what you're going to be doing. So you have some people behind you actually helping. Yes. 
there are a team of investigators now and our team seems to be growing with other professionals which is what what we really need because they're the ones with the credentials to be able to analyze everything that's been found here you know we've been to the home office um i'm not joking about this i'm absolutely serious that i will take this as far as i can take it you know i will go to the senate i will go to government in westminster i will have uh you know a member of parliament raise this question in parliament and it won't be laughed at because this is serious and we'll have the evidence by then to back it all up and we have it now if people want to trawl through the hundreds of freedom of information requests all of the lies and contradictions from the ministry of defense and they they seem to be backfilling you know um they're following the investigation very closely uh and they say things now like well we, mr jones shouldn't have been sent that that was a mistake you know well they've made about seven or eight mistakes so far and they're trying to backfill and change their answers to fit their narrative as it goes along this is five years down the line now and it's only just starting to leak out because of the cover up now let's talk about the explosions how you you said that it was registered on the richter scale 40 miles away or so something like that yeah um, yeah that must i mean the explosions themselves it seems to me would have like everyone that heard get involved and make a call and what's going on. And it just seems like right. that would really cause an uproar right there in itself. Um, yeah. So what, what about that? Did, were a lot of people like trying to ask questions? Yeah, a, lot of, a lot of people were very scared. They didn't know what was going on. They called the police, um, our local uh, non-emergency police number is 101 and hundreds of people called the police worried that something was going on, were scared for their livestock because their livestock were being worried um, by all the military helicopters, by the sounds of the explosions, you know, by their houses shaking. Hundreds of people called the police. We've asked for some of those phone calls to be released to us and they released a handful to us, even though hundreds of people called in. Um, So, yes, there there was a lot of concern about what was going on that night. Yeah. I think it's really strange. You know, you talked early on, we were discussing that how this went on, where people, I mean, where planes were flying over, was it two days ahead? Yes, we had the small gray propeller plane, single plane on its own, for eight hours, uh, that was ZZ418, call sign Snake48. And that was a shadow R1 aircraft, which is an above top secret aircraft. And then we had uh, ZG996, which was um, an army reconnaissance and surveillance aircraft would come and take its place. Its call sign was Jackal1. And that would take its place and fly for eight hours. So again, we had the one aircraft in our airspace, low and slow, for three days and three nights. Um, Other people had noticed the E3 Sentry. I didn't personally, but apparently it was there on the Thursday. I didn't see it, Um, but then I wasn't out looking at it either. Um, I was more anticipating the sound of the smaller aircraft coming over my house approximately every 15 minutes. 
uh, which became quite annoying um, because you anticipate when it's going to come back like an annoying fly you know that won't go away um, so no um, I haven't really spoken to other people somebody put the um, paranormal scholar documentary on my local Pentuck Herb recently because that seems to have slipped through this sh shadow ban that I'm under and uh, one of the local residents actually made a comment to say that they had two armed guards on the gate uh, for an entire week um, I hadn't really noticed them because I haven't looked out there to be frank with you um, and as much as he said that they didn't stop him going through the gate with their dog um, again when he walked past anybody everybody would stop what they were doing they really didn't want you to see or know what it was that they were doing um, and there was no exercise ever listed for those people here ever to this date wow um, a question popped up here and there's, uh, you know, this controversy about what this called the, the Pyramid um, Navy video. Um, and this person just wondered, have you actually seen that? It's a green, you know, a night vision video that's uh, floating around. Uh, I have seen the video. For me, they're too far away to be able to positively identify them as being the same vehicle. Um, I've also seen the one that's being was filmed over the Pentagon by four separate witnesses. And that's a little bit more like what I saw without the lights around it. So I don't know if it had lights or not, or if they'd switched them off. But the one that I saw had red lights all the way around its perimeter. And the, the ones on the right-hand side seemed to be the steering mechanism somehow for the ship. So they were brighter. Um, and no, they weren't flares. Before anybody asks, we've already subjected a freedom of information request to the Royal Air Force, and they have told us that no flares were used that night. So they don't do themselves any favours when trying to cover this up. Um, they, they, this was a full-size pyramid. I don't know about the ones in the video um, because they're too far away for me to be able to positively identify them as being pyramids even, even though the Pentagon have apparently admitted that they are um yes it could be the same craft what i saw was enormous and from that distance it's hard to judge how big those things are in the sky but from here the, it was enormous about twice three times the length of a football pitch Huge. wow that's i was going to ask that was my next question if you could give an estimate of how big you think this object was oh yeah it was huge it was enormous. It was majestic. It was a full-sized pyramid. How you'd envisage a pyramid to be is what I'm talking about. But this was three-sided and not four-sided. You know, you say pyramid and think it's four-sided. No, it, it was three-sided and turning anti-clockwise and completely silent. There was no noise from this thing, no downdraft, no nothing. The same with the barrels, completely silent, completely However, the, the new witnesses that have come forward that saw the objects being pursued by the military said that one of them was making a sound. Um, I didn't hear any sound here. But then I'd make a sound too if I was afraid. Because they were trying to hide. How sad is that?
I hope I don't have to have Bill take over for me, but it's really, it's been really uh, my internet. I can see it going in and out and I do apologize. Um, and uh, that was the main question I asked when I came to this hotel, how was the internet? And uh, anyway, it's, it is disappointing. Hopefully we'll be able to continue on here. I think what I'm going to do is open up, um, open a line for uh, phone calls. So anyone can give a call and ask uh, questions for our guests. And that uh, phone number is 8547-5483. Neighbor there that uh, contacted me today. I say neighbor, he lives 15 miles or so away uh, to see if he could stay up late and call in. So we'll see if he happens to do that. So again, the lines are open, 855-472-5483. And uh, Mary Grace had a question up here. I'm going to pull it up from chat. And do you feel uh, free to be emboldened because you feel protected by the recent entity entity visitations? Do you understand the question? Yeah. Um, you know, I, I really do feel in some respects that there is some divine intervention going on somewhere. You know, everything that I've planned to do seems to be coming through and my path seems to be being cleared for me. You know, I was afraid for the first 18 months when they asked me to tell the world what I've witnessed there, to come to terms with that, knowing what it would mean for me. I was too afraid to speak out, but now I'm resigned to that and I believe the more public I am, the more protected I am. I don't believe they'd want to make a martyr of me. But, you know, accidents happen all the time, Martin. So if something does, you know, I hope this to be my legacy, if you like. I know lots of people have tried before me to get disclosure, but I'm not leaving this. I'm trying this like a court case. I am going to prove what happened here with the evidence, not necessarily what I say, the evidence will prove it. I mean, Gary Jones, who was the lead investigator into this case, didn't believe it until he investigated it. So to turn a skeptic into a believer should tell you that the evidence is compelling and it's really strong and it's growing every single day, every day. Yeah. Okay. Well, we have Seth. Um, Seth is from the USA and he's not, uh, he's not going to tell us where he's from, I guess. I don't know if that's a good sign or bad sign. Welcome to the show, Seth. Hi. Hi. You have a question for our guest tonight? Oh yeah. I have a, yeah, I have a question. Has she tried reaching out to George Knapp or, uh, Louis Elizondo about this? Hi, Seth. Um, actually, the first person that I spoke to was Linda Moulton Howe um, on Coast to Coast um, because I believe that this needed a serious platform. I also believe that the radiation evidence has been sent to George Knapp, the analysis, so he may be in receipt of that already um, because I do believe that he helped Bob Lazar with Element 115 and this is element 100 that's been found here in huge quantities. So we will have to wait and see on, on that. But thank you for your question. 
Anything else, Seth? And uh, uh, yes, uh, does she know who Louis uh, Louis Louis Elizondo is? Um, I've heard the name, um, but I'm not entirely sure. No, I'm, I'm not a ufologist. I, I'm just a witness. Um, well, he was the head of the agent program here in the USA. Yeah, he. I'm he, sorry. Um, he, She's she hasn't really looked into the UFO topic that much, stuff. so um, that's why she's not familiar with with him. But I do appreciate the call. Thank you. Hey, thank you all. All right, thank, thank you. And we have another uh, call on uh, caller on hold right now. Um, just to let you know, since you are kind of on the outside, and I I, I get in trouble every time I say this, but I don't I don't think there's uh, the Bob Lazar story. I'm not really uh, convinced at all that uh, Bob Lazar was involved in what he's he's in, but it. But I still have a lot of respect for George Knapp. <laughs> anyway, we're moving, and I'll, I'll I'll get email for saying what I just did, but that's okay. Yeah. Uh, Joni's on the line from Pennsylvania. Welcome to the show, Joni. Yes. Hi. Hi, Martin. Hi, Cass. Cass, I think you're a very brave lady. I, and um, have you ever contacted Linda Molden Howe? She's a news reporter who investigates this sort of thing. Uh, she just she just talked about that. I'm sorry you, you missed it. Yeah, she was the first lady I spoke to about it because I believe this yeah. needed a serious platform, yes. So you Amazing. probably turned off – you were probably doing the right thing, Joni, which is turning off your your uh, the computer while you're sitting there on hold which was very nice of you, but she did speak about that. Yes. Do you happen to have another question? Um, have you ever talked to anybody from the BBC about this? Mm, good question. The BBC contacted me um, with a program they were going to do called The Unexplainers, and it's actually hosted by two comedians, and I turned them down because they're two comedians and because this needs a serious platform and not to be ridiculed. Um, the BBC never really give you a straight answer, uh, but I have been in contact with other TV companies since, um, and I really don't believe the BBC would ever cover it seriously. Well, very good. Anything? No. Well, I heard about this on a BBC program, but they said they didn't know anything about it. Huh. It was somebody who had mentioned it. I missed that last bit. It it may have been the particular host uh, that was asked the question. I, you know, I mean, that's a possibility, Joni. Uh, thank you very much for the call. Absolutely. All right. Thank you. Um, someone posted, uh, sent me a text and they wondered if you had ever contacted Nick Pope about this. Are you familiar with who Nick Pope is? I am, uh, yes, familiar with who Pope is. I did try to contact him, but unfortunately Nick Pope will always be ruled by the official secrets act and will be for the rest of his life. So he can only ever talk about what they say he can be honest um but i did try and contact him yeah yes um we have a i have a friend of the show um i do speak with him quite often 
and his his main focus for many years was uh you know a, a pyramid shape or or triangle ufos and so uh, uh, uh there was a question in chat someone wanted to know have you ever heard of dave marler or you know this is really a case dave marler may be interested in he lives in the united states in new mexico he's an excellent researcher of course many miles away from you but uh I will I will ask him about this and uh, see if he's ever done any type of research at all on it. I think um, you mentioned earlier about, I'm guessing your neighbor, David, or this person named David, and how he is reluctant to come out and talk about it. Do you think there will be a day uh, down the road where he will feel more uh, available to talk about this? I think so in the future when his child is old enough. Um, I do think he will come out and speak then. But whilst he's still a child, um, I think he has that, that he would need to protect his child. Um, And for somebody to go that low to threaten his kid, you know, is... yeah. He is overprotective, but I think when his child is of an age where he wouldn't have to worry about them, I am sure that he will come out and stand by my side. Yes. Yeah. Um, someone, you know, made a good point here. Nick Pope was out of the job, you know, for a long time um, when this happened. So he could, I mean, I'm, he likes to talk about cases, even recent cases when it comes to UFOs. So I'm surprised he's not, Speaking up about this, he may later on. I'd like for Nick Pope to stand up and talk about it. I tried to contact him, um, but to no avail, unfortunately. Yeah. But it wasn't through that crime. It's almost like you have to, I mean, I I know I've met him and and, uh, had him on the show for a few minutes before. And um, he is tricky. He he usually answers emails, but he usually just... um, you know, declines whatever you're going to ask him. <laughs> so, yeah. but anyway, uh, we have uh, someone that's going to uh, try to give you more publicity um, out there that someone I know in, in chat has made a note. Um, but anyway, I think it's all very interesting. And, you know, I'm just surprised. I really am surprised that it's not one case that you you just don't hear about this like out there, like you do so many other cases that are, this one seems so extraordinary compared to some mundane cases that are in the news a lot. This was real. You know, the military were involved. They've shot down and retrieved a craft without any doubt. They sent a cleanup crew here afterwards. God only knows what they were looking for, but I believe that anything that traverses through space will drag things with it, whether that be rocks or debris of some kind. Hence the fingertip search in a real situation, not an exercise. They have tried to suppress the information. The military were at community level from the off, um, infiltrating local community hubs, not even members of the community. And you have to be to be part of the hub. Putting in the single one-liner it's a military exercise that nobody questioned with no follow-up. 
before anybody else was told it was a military exercise. So how did these people know? You know, it's it, they were in from ground level. I was interrogated by the mainstream and told to stay silent, which I did for 18 months until Swansea UFO Network became involved. Um, and when they leaked the story, shall we say, or the incident, because that is not a story, that's when I was approached by the Ministry, the Ministry of Defence and I was threatened. You know, I've had the Ministry of Defence turn up at one of my presentations as members of my audience and tell me to my face they know. And I said, well, I know they know. I was there. I saw it. And if they weren't in control, who was? And NATO was here. So how big was this operation? Who was involved? Um, because this had to be multiple countries. This has to involve the entire world, in fact, and not just the UK. This is something that every country is dealing with. Uh, yeah, it seems along that way. Someone wanted me to ask you, wait a minute, we do have a caller. Yes, we do have a caller, but just real quickly, um, can you comment on the, the reporter? Yes, I can. Uh, a lady called Jessica Morgan Flynn, who worked for Wells Online, contacted me via my Facebook page asking me to contact her because of the comments that I'd made about the military that night, which I did. I thought perhaps foolishly that she was after the real story and she wasn't. It was an interrogation. She wanted to know if I had any footage any photographs, who I'd spoken to, and how I had spoken to these people specifically. Was it email, chat boxes, texts, telephone calls? The list went on, and the questioning went on for over an hour. This wasn't an interview. This was an interrogation, and the questions were laid out for her. Oh. Um, wow. Since then, I have since found out that Jessica Morgan Flynn, having served 15 years and three months for as a reporter for Wells Online, is now the communications officer for the National Health Service, and more specifically, the Royal Glamorgan Hospital. So any freedom of information requests going into the hospital will be answered by her. Nice, neat little bundle there to tie up all the loose ends for the Ministry of Defence, I think, because... They have never been able to get their story straight. The first freedom of information request we subjected them to, they told us they knew absolutely nothing about military exercise and since then have tried to backfill. Um, but even they can't get their dates right or, or anything. So now if I subject the Royal Glamorgan Hospital to a freedom of information, and I will be in the near future, um, it'll be Jessica Morgan Flynn that I'll be dealing with. Interesting. Uh, we have Jeff on the line from Michigan. Welcome to the show, Jeff. Hi, Martin. Thanks for having me. You bet. Thank you for calling in. You have a question for our guest tonight? Yes, Kaz. This is Jeff Kingsbury from Strange Recon Podcast. Who just did a Hi, of Jeff. Good to have Hi, you on. Kaz. Uh, I, my question for you is, I, since you were on our show, we've had one... Uh, we've had two different emails come in basically every day. 
The first one being, why have you not been on as many uh, British or UK podcasts? Why did why do why does everyone over in the UK have to find you on American podcasts? And the second one being, is can you please reconcile with the public your security background? I get an email about once a day or once every other day claiming that your senior security makes you uh, makes it hard for people to believe what you're actually saying. Can you rectify, uh, reconcile that for the public? Well, I don't know what you want me to say, really. Um, yes, I worked security. And yes, I was the area supervisor for Wales and the West of England for a reputable firm. And that's all I can say about that. Um, as for not being able to get on British podcasts, as I said, this, this information has been suppressed. It's only now it started to leak out. And I have done some interviews on um, British podcasts. Uh, and hopefully I'll be doing some more. But primarily, that's not my interest. My interest is approaching government and having something done in the real world about this. Because this affects us all. Gotcha. Just to finish up there, uh, thank you very much for answering the question, Kath. Was there anything that happened between the time of the event and, say, like recently that might have prevented, like anything that happened on live news interview or anything at all? Because people seemingly always want to know why they can't find you. And are you suggesting there is a actual uh, campaign to suppress anything that you have to say about the the event? Do you think it's, it's happening? Yes, it is evidence of the cover-up. I I explained earlier during the show that a friend of mine uh, had done a search on YouTube for the Pentuk UFO incident and the number of searches for the Pentuk UFO incident, and it came up as a big fat zero. But as you know, the Paranormal Scholar, a small documentary that they did, has had over 500,000 views now, so that that can't possibly be true. Um, but yes, it is still being suppressed by Google, by YouTube, by Facebook, by BitChute, just to name a handful of the massive search engines that are involved in this. You know, um, it is being suppressed because it was real. This is the thing, because it was so recent and it was real and it, you know, involved the military over the, a residential area and they shot these things down. It's absolutely true and they're trying to silence it. And I'll never be silenced unless they do it. And if something does happen to me, I'm resigned to that fact that if they do decide to do that to me, at least the people will know this was real and that I've put myself out there. It's my neck that's on the line. Because I think this is so important that the people want answers. Thank no, you. Amazing. Yeah, thank you very much. I appreciate the uh, answering the question. Thank you very much, Martin, for uh, running the show for us all. Thank you, Jeff. You bet. Take care now. Thanks. All right. We have another caller on hold. Marv from uh, New York. Welcome to the show, Marv. Hi, Martin. Hi, Kaz. Uh, great Thank show. You. Thank you. I just have uh, two uh, two brief questions for Kaz, um, and then I'll take my answer off the air. Um, could you describe the uh, pyramid? Was it like a metallic object, or was it like glowing from inside, or... How was it illuminated? I know you said there was red lights around the perimeter, but was it actually glowing or anything like that? And then the second question is the um, those orbs or barrels that you mentioned, whatever happened to them, did they just fly off or did they go back to the pyramid? 
Well, the Thank pyramid you. itself was surrounded on the outer extremes of the edges, if you like, with red lights. And when it illuminated fully, I could see the texture of the craft and it resembled a rock face uh, of stone. You know, you could see the pits and folds in it. But other than that, I didn't see any windows and it didn't illuminate in any, any way. As for the barrel-shaped objects after they left me, we do have other witnesses that saw a cluster of those green objects being pursued by military jets and helicopters west of here. Um, I mean, they closed the entire Welsh airspace that night and all the roads and the, the motorways. Um, I've now got two new witnesses that have come forward to say the helicopters were chasing down and hunting these things. I believe that they were all destroyed eventually. I know that one was shot down over Clantrissant Common that crashed into Smilog Woods. Um, but other than that, I would like to think that they got away. But they had military aircraft up to 50 miles out. And, you know, I jokingly said, well, what the military were waiting for me was to, for me to drop my hanky in the field to start this multi-million pound exercise with aircraft up to 50 miles out that couldn't have possibly seen me. And yet I can pinpoint the exact time that everything started moving in. So they had nowhere to go. It wouldn't matter in which direction they went. They would have come face to face with military aircraft. This operation was huge. I hope that answers the questions. Oh, yes, thank you. Um, thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks. Anything else, uh, Marv? Um, that that's it. Um, there's there was some comments I read in the chat where people had mentioned that it was like a hologram or something, the pyramid. But it it's your from your perspective, it was a solid metallic object. It was a solid stone object. It looked stone to me, like it was made of rock. But um, a hologram can't scan you. A hologram can't make you feel that way. Um, right. A hologram can't turn your hair white. Right. Thank you very much. Thank you. All right. Thanks for the call. Um, now, there's a question that popped up here. Have you had, oh, had you had any run with the UK government or military before this event? No. None at all. None but you at seem all. to know your way around pretty well. I mean, it's, it seems like you've figured it out pretty well on, on how to get the FOIAs, you know, the Freedom of Information. And um, you're, you're going at this thing pretty aggressively, which is good. Yes, because and, it was real. Uh, and, and really, um, I have Gary Jones to thank for that because he is an investigator and he knows about EMF and radiation and FOIAs and you know, all the other seismic things and geological surveys and everything else that he's done, the military timeline, you know, the radar returns. These are all down to Gary Jones. Um, I see. You know, I do help him with the questions because they're designed in a way to get lies out of people. You know, I put the Ministry of Defence on the stand and I catch them lying not once, not twice, but three times. And so far it's seven times now, you know, I passed three lie detectors. Who are you going to believe? Even if you dismiss my lie detector, please look at the evidence. 
you know, yeah. be my judge, be my jury. I ask people to, to look at the evidence and see it for themselves with an open mind and then decide, regardless, even if you were to take the UFO out of the situation, look at the evidence. Something happened here and it was huge. Right. Um, this is a question from the gentleman that connected me. Uh, and thanks for that, by the way. Can you verify that Google Earth has blocked the satellite image from the date? Yes, uh, Google Earth has blocked the image for an entire week. Um, I think it's NASA Earthwatch. And for the week preceding up into and including the 26th of February 2016, the screens go completely black. Every single day for a whole week, the screens are black. And then on the 27th of February 2016, they go back to normal. Uh, and this is, you know, the cover-up continues. All low-level flying exercises, for example, have all been deleted. Um, just all lots of evidence. There's evidence of absence, shall we say, um, <laughs> where things have been removed. We only have about four minutes left. Um, a question was texted to me. Was there any U.S. military personnel involved or simply UK and have you been followed or noticed being surveilled at all? I don't know if there were any military uh, from the U S that were involved that night, although it was a joint operation. So there could have been, um, I don't know if I've been surveilled. Uh, I've had some strange things happen to me. Um, since the event and very shortly after the event um, when I was nearly rammed off the road. Um, but that's that's another story. And I don't leave home without security of my own. Uh, and that's the truth. If I have to go anywhere, I have to take a close protection officer with me. So I am quite vigilant um, because I am aware, very aware, of what's going on and what's likely to happen to me. But that is a cross that I have to bear and I'm prepared to do that because no one's going to threaten my children. No one. That was their one mistake, to threaten my children because now I'll die for my kids. The truth has to come out and I will treat this exactly like a court case um, I'm doing this in the real world. I want people to know this was real. I'm collating the evidence. I'm finding the facts. And even though they've deleted some things, there are some things that they have overlooked. And they cannot answer my latest freedom of information requests. If they answer in the positive on one, they'll get caught out lying on the other and vice versa. Because they're liars. Yeah. And the truth um, will always prevail. We only have two minutes left. And Carrie Davis is the gentleman that contacted me that lives about 15 miles away from you. Right. <laughs> so uh, do you have a personal opinion on how the military knew this craft was going to arrive in the Pinturk uh, location? Okay. Again, we have uh, well, I, we only have a minute left. <laughs> so all right. whatever you can. My personal opinion is that uh, these there, things are coming from uh, the Sagittarius Dwarf Galaxy, which is only visible in red. The Shadow R1, which is the above top secret aircraft, has been fitted with a state-of-the-art infrared systems. 
So I think they could see this thing coming in infrared. Um, and that's how come they knew it was coming. Uh, the Sagittarius dwarf galaxy exists in the same space and time as we do. Uh, and these things like UFOs seem to appear and disappear. It's because they're traveling from one dimension to another or from BBC one to BBC two, if you like, like we live on, we live on one TV channel and they live on the other and they have the ability to be able to diverse into this channel, if you like, uh, using the conduits yeah. on earth. Thank you so much. It's been really a pleasure talking to you and I can feel you're very passionate about this. And I hope you have some movement forward and things go your way, but we have to, we have to call it a night. Thanks so much. Thank you. All right. Take care. All right, everyone. Uh, next week we have an interesting show and the guests are Matthew Roberts from the, uh, it's a new wit witness from the Nimitz case and Kevin Gnuth after him. So I'm looking forward to that one. And uh, it was a great night. I appreciate everyone that listens to the show and remember to keep your eyes to the sky. Mm -hmm.